depression and cognitive impairment are both common conditions in old age, and frequently occur together. However, accurate figures of the co-occurrence are not available. The interrelationship between the two clinical entities is still complex and not well understood. Clearly depression can be a psychological reaction to cognitive decline, and thus may also appear as an early symptom in dementing individuals. However, recent data suggests that depression, and in particularly late-life depression, can also be a risk factor for Alzheimer's disease, ID. The relationship between the two clinical entities should be seen in view of observations of white matter changes both in AD and in depression. Since these white matter changes are thought to frequently reflect vascular changes, the concept of vascular depression has been advanced. Vascular changes in the brain occur commonly in demented individuals and conversely depression is frequent co-occurrence in vascular disease. Additionally neurotransmitter loss may occur in both particularly monoaminergic disturbances which is characteristic of depression but may occur also in AD. The same is true for hippocampal atrophy, which is characteristic of AD but has also been described in depression. Although dementia is primarily considered a memory disorder, there are significant neuropsychiatric manifestations sufficient to cause decline in ability to carry out social or occupational functioning independently. Depressive symptoms are extremely common in demented patients, and may be present very early in the course of the disease. Depression and dementia are common in older people and their association is very complex. The reported prevalence of comorbid depression or depressive symptoms in individuals with dementia has been quite variable, likely due to differences in methods of assessment, diagnostic criteria, stages of dementia, and other factors. Little empirical evidence is available to guide the clinicians in the selection of treatment. Comorbid depression complicates diagnosis, affects treatment approaches and outcomes, and decreases the quality of life of affected individuals as well as their caregivers. The coexistence of depression and dementia has emerged as a significant public health problem leading to increased health care utilization and costs. Most people feel low or sad from time to time. This is not the same as being depressed. Depression is a condition that can last for several weeks or months. When a person has depression a number of negative feelings can dominate their life, including sadness, hopelessness and a loss of interest in things they used to enjoy. At least one in five people in the UK will have depression at some time in their lives. However, it is more common in people with dementia, particularly if they have vascular dementia or Parkinson's disease dementia. Depression is often diagnosed when a person is in the early stages of dementia. However it can develop at any stage. Depression can also come and go. If a person has had depression in the past, they are more likely to have it again if they develop dementia. Depression often has more than one cause. The causes vary a lot from person to person including A history of traumatic or upsetting events Other health conditions or disabilities particularly heart problems breathing difficulties, chronic pain or hormonal problems. Side effects of medications, including certain sleeping pills, steroids, beta blockers and drugs used to treat Parkinson's disease. Not having enough meaningful things to do, social isolation or a lack of social support. Not getting enough good quality sleep. Bereavement This can make a person more vulnerable to depression, although grief itself is not normally thought of as a type of depression. Feeling stressed about issues such as money, relationships or the future. 
drinking too much alcohol. These causes can be similar for everyone whether they have dementia or not. However, if a person in the early stages of dementia has depression, it might be directly linked to them worrying about their memory and the future. People with vascular dementia often have more insight and awareness of their condition than people with Alzheimer's disease. This may explain why it's more common for people with vascular dementia to have depression. The diseases that cause dementia can also sometimes cause depression. People who live in a care home seem to be at particular risk of developing depression. This is why good staff training and regular visits from family members and friends can help to improve their well-being. Depression can affect people in different ways. There are also different levels of depression doctors talk about people having mild, moderate or severe depression. Common symptoms include feeling sad, hopeless or irritable for much of the time. A person may lose interest or pleasure in activities they once enjoyed, or they may feel worthless, guilty or have low self-confidence. People with depression can have disturbed sleep, such as waking in the very early morning. They may also struggle to think clearly or concentrate, or they may become more forgetful. Older people who have depression may have slightly different symptoms than younger people. They are likely to feel more agitated and to have more health anxiety, worries about their own health. They are also more likely to have more physical symptoms, such as aches and pains. It is common for people with dementia to have anxiety. It can make symptoms of dementia worse particularly symptoms that affect a person's attention, planning, organizing and decision making. Depression can drain a person's energy and make them feel hopeless. It could even make them think about ending their own life. This is why depression should be taken very seriously. It should not be dismissed as a person just feeling a bit down. As well as having negative feelings, if a person with dementia has depression, it can make problems with their thinking and memory worse. Depression may also make any changes in their behavior worse. They may be agitated and aggressive. They may also have problems sleeping or refuse to eat. For people in the later stages of dementia, symptoms of depression often include tearfulness and weight loss. Some symptoms of depression are similar to symptoms of dementia. This includes being withdrawn and having problems with memory and concentration. However, there are key differences between the symptoms of depression and dementia. Depression tends to develop much more quickly than most types of dementia over weeks or a few months. It is common for people with dementia to have problems with their speech and awareness of where they are and what time it is. This is unusual in depression. A person with depression may sometimes say they can't remember something but then remember when they are prompted. However, a person with dementia, particularly Alzheimer's disease, is likely not to remember recent events. They may also try to cover up their memory loss. A person with severe depression may have problems with their reasoning or memory. However, this is likely to be because they have poor concentration. Their problems with reasoning or memory should get better with treatment or when the depression lifts. This does not happen with dementia. A person who has depression should be offered a range of treatments, depending on how long they've had it and how severe it is. If they have mild depression they may be offered a support group or self-help, activities and techniques they can do by themselves. If they have more severe or persistent depression their doctor may prescribe an antidepressant medication, as well as, or followed by, referring them for a talking therapy. The difficulties people with dementia may have with their mental abilities can make it harder to treat depression. This could include difficulties with their attention, communication, 
memory or reasoning. To have the most benefit, some types of talking therapy need a person to have these mental abilities intact. This includes cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. There's no reason why a person with dementia can't benefit from talking about their thoughts and feelings with a professional counselor or therapist, at least during the earlier stages of the condition. Antidepressant drugs are widely used to treat depression. However, they don't seem to be as effective in people with dementia. As a result, treating depression in a person with dementia can be more about improving their quality of life through care and support that matches their needs, personality, and preferences. Dealing with any underlying issues that may be the cause of depression, such as loneliness, or treating pain generally helping them live as positively as possible. If a person has depression they should be offered a range of treatments, depending on how long they have had it and how severe it is. Routines, Activities and Surroundings People with dementia who have depression may benefit from Having a daily routine they find reassuring Doing regular physical activity such as walking, cycling, tai chi or pilates. Doing regular activities with other people social isolation can make depression worse. Spending time doing reminiscence and life story activities, such as making a scrapbook or photo album about their life. Having more one-to-one -one interaction with another person some people enjoy talking, holding hands or gentle massage. Changes to their environment for example, reducing bright lights and loud noises or avoiding large groups of people. These ways of managing depression should ask a counselor, psychotherapist or doctor it can be very helpful to ask a professional for advice. Support groups can also be very helpful. They can give people a chance to talk to others who are going through a similar experience. Depression is sometimes caused by a person having low levels of certain chemicals in their brain, known as neurotransmitters. Antidepressant medication can increase the levels of some of these chemicals. This can help to improve a person's mood over weeks and months. A person with dementia who has depression is likely to be offered antidepressant medication if the depression is severe or it hasn't responded to other types of therapy. However there isn't much evidence that these drugs are effective for treating depression in people who have dementia. If the person wants to try complementary or alternative therapies to manage their depression they should speak to their doctor first. These include aromatherapy, massage and bright light therapy. Most alternative therapies are unlikely to conflict with conventional treatments. However some may interact with other drugs like cannabidiol, CBD, oil. That is why they should always check with their doctor first. Depressive symptoms are quite common in older people. However, Sustained and disabling major depressive episodes are more common in those with dementia than in age-matched controls without dementia. The incidence of depression may be 30% in vascular dementia and in Alzheimer's disease, and over 40% in the dementia associated with Parkinson's and Huntington's diseases. Practitioners caring for people with dementia should be alert to major depression as this will require specific management strategies. People with dementia of any type have a high incidence of major depression. The occurrence of a first major depressive episode in an older adult is a risk factor for developing dementia. Management of depression in a person with dementia should be enthusiastic with an aim to optimize quality of life. Non-pharmacological and pharmacological strategies are both important in treating depression and dementia and management of these patients requires a collaborative approach. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are the first-line pharmacotherapy for depression and dementia, 
although they are less likely to be effective in older people. Depressive symptoms are quite common in older people. However, sustained and disabling major depressive episodes are more common in those with dementia than in age-matched controls without dementia. The symptoms and signs of major depression in dementia are often no different from depression occurring in any other group. Mood is most commonly low but can be irritable, angry, or anxious. Disturbed biological rhythms in sleep, appetite and energy are common and patients may be negative, hopeless or even nihilistic. Ideas of worthlessness, guilt and self-harm also occur. Overall cognitive ability may decline significantly due to the depression alone. Attributing cognitive impairment to the dementia or the depressive disorder may be difficult until an adequate trial of treatment for depression has occurred. Some signs of dementia may strongly resemble those of a major depression such as social withdrawal, lack of interest in self or others, low initiative and poor motivation. The diagnosis of the depression may be made more difficult when the dementia has not been recognized before. Apathy is a particularly confounding sign for diagnosis, and specialist assessment may be needed. Also there are some individuals whose cognitive style has always been essentially negative and depressive, rather than this being a recent change. This may only be revealed by reliable family informants. Typically a major depressive episode develops over weeks to a few months, and is a significant new impairment for the person. Conversely, the dementia alone may develop insidiously over months or years and be slow in progression. The onset of the first major depression in an older adult may be the first sign of dementia that is developing or at risk of developing. Diagnosis of the dementia will be difficult until the depressive episode has remitted or at least improved. For the older person who shows a significant decline in cognition and function, the differential diagnosis must include dementia and a depressive disorder. These are not mutually exclusive. Investigations that include hematological, endocrine and other biological tests, and neuroimaging, are relevant to both diagnoses. For someone with a known dementia, of any severity, who exhibits some of the symptoms and signs of major depression, the clinician should consider and investigate for newer deteriorating physical illness and the possibility of delirium. A major depressive episode. A phase of acute deterioration in the dementia. The impact of prescribed and non-prescribed medicines and substances. Eight alcohol, marijuana, opioids, and many prescribed drugs with sedative properties can contribute to depressed mood and aggravate cognitive impairment. Experts estimate that up to 40% of people with Alzheimer's disease suffer from significant depression. Fortunately, there are many effective non-drug and drug therapies available. Treatment of depression in Alzheimer's disease can improve a person's sense of well-being, quality of life and individual function. Men and women with Alzheimer's experience depression with about equal frequency. But identifying depression in someone with Alzheimer's can be difficult. There is no single test or questionnaire to detect the condition, and diagnosis requires careful evaluation of a variety of symptoms. Dementia itself can lead to certain symptoms commonly associated with depression, including Apathy Loss of interest in activities and hobbies Social withdrawal Isolation The cognitive impairment experienced by people with Alzheimer's often makes it difficult for them to articulate their sadness, hopelessness, guilt and other feelings associated with depression. Depression in Alzheimer's doesn't always look like depression in people without the disorder. For example, 
depression in Alzheimer's is sometimes less severe and may not last as long or recur as often. Also, people with Alzheimer's and depression may be less likely to talk openly about wanting to kill themselves, and they are less likely to attempt suicide than depressed individuals without dementia. What's more, depressive symptoms in Alzheimer's may come and go, in contrast to memory and thinking problems that worsen steadily over time. The first step in diagnosis is a thorough professional evaluation. Side effects of medications or an unrecognized medical condition can sometimes produce symptoms of depression. Key elements of the evaluation will include a review of the person's medical history, a physical and mental examinations, interviews with family members who know the person well. Because of the complexities involved in diagnosing depression in someone with Alzheimer's, it may be helpful to consult a geriatric psychiatrist who specializes in recognizing and treating depression in older adults. To facilitate diagnosis and treatment of depression in people with Alzheimer's, the National Institute of Mental Health established a formal set of guidelines for diagnosing the condition. Although the criteria are similar to general diagnostic standards for major depression, they reduce emphasis on verbal expression and include irritability and social isolation. For a person to be diagnosed with depression in Alzheimer's, he or she must have either depressed mood, sad, hopeless, discouraged, or tearful, or decreased pleasure in usual activities, along with two or more of the following symptoms over a two-week period. Social isolation or withdrawal. Disruption in appetite that is not related to another medical condition. Disruption in sleep. Agitation or slowed behavior. Irritability. Fatigue or loss of energy. Feelings of worthlessness or hopelessness, or inappropriate or excessive guilt. Recurrent thoughts of death, suicide plans, or a suicide attempt. The most common treatment for depression in Alzheimer's involves a combination of medicine, support, and gradual reconnection to activities and people the person finds pleasurable. Simply telling the person with Alzheimer's to cheer up, snap out of it, or try harder is seldom helpful. Depressed people with or without Alzheimer's are rarely able to make themselves better by sheer will, or without lots of support, reassurance, and professional help. Non-drug approaches Schedule a predictable daily routine, taking advantage of the person's best time of day to undertake difficult tasks, such as bathing. Make a list of activities, people or places that the person enjoys now and schedule these things more frequently. Help the person exercise regularly, particularly in the morning. Acknowledge the person's frustration or sadness, while continuing to express hope that he or she will feel better soon. Celebrate small successes and occasions. Find ways that the person can contribute to family life and be sure to recognize his or her contributions. Provide reassurance that the person is loved, respected and appreciated as part of the family, and not just for what she or he can do now. Nurture the person with offers of favorite foods or soothing or inspirational activities. Reassure the person that he or she will not be abandoned. Consider supportive psychotherapy and or a support group, especially an early stage group for people with Alzheimer's who are aware of their diagnosis and prefer to take an active role in seeking help or helping others. Physicians may prescribe antidepressants for people with Alzheimer's who have depression. Dementia itself is not a disease but a constellation of symptoms caused by diseases and disorders that affect the brain, including Alzheimer's disease, AD, Parkinson's disease, 
PD, diffuse Lewy body disease, strokes, and others. Dementia involves progressive loss of memory and other cognitive functions, such as problem-solving and emotional control. The earliest diagnosable stage of dementia, mild cognitive impairment, MCI, does not always lead to dementia. For those who do develop dementia, abilities to independently perform basic activities of daily living, ADLs, and instrumental activities of daily living, IADLs, are generally impaired as the condition progresses. Behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia, BPSD, also frequently referred to as neuropsychiatric symptoms of dementia, affect up to 95% of those with dementia during the course of the illness. Symptoms of depression are especially common in MCI and throughout the course of dementia. Reported prevalence of depression or depressive symptoms in persons with dementia ranges from 0% to 96%, while moderate to high rates of depression or its symptoms are consistently reported for persons with MCI. The wide range of prevalence for depression in dementia is due to several factors, including differences in researchers' focus on symptoms versus specifically defined depressive disorders, diverse study samples varying in causes of dementia, stage of illness, country of residence and placement of patient, as well as variation in the instruments used to assess depressive symptoms and disorders. The understanding of the nature of psychological impairment and dementia of Alzheimer type, DAT, continues to develop. Memory impairment is the most heavily investigated topic and a number of studies are reported which all have the common theme of placing the source of the impairment at the input of the memory system. In addition, Psychological assessment continues to attract attention and work relating to other functions such as spatial ability and mood is also described. Alzheimer's disease is the most common type of dementia and is typically seen in older adults. Symptoms of Alzheimer's include problems with memory, communication, comprehension, and judgment. Changes in personality may also occur. There is no cure but symptoms can be managed through the use of behavioral strategies and medication. It's a progressive disease that impairs your cognitive ability and interferes with your ability to function. Common symptoms include Memory loss Inability to problem-solve Lack of judgment While no two cases of Alzheimer's follow the same path, the progression of AD generally falls into three primary stages based on signs and symptoms. Three stages of Alzheimer's disease recognized by the National Institutes of Health, NIH, how they interfere with activities of daily living, ADL, and what stage 3 of Alzheimer's is like depending on the severity of dementia. Alzheimer's staging involves activities of daily living and how much the disease interferes with them. ADLs are the routines you go through every day, such as eating, dressing, bathing slash showering, Hygiene and grooming, brushing your teeth and hair as AD progresses through the stages, ADLs become more and more difficult. Differing Definitions There are multiple definitions of different healthcare practitioners and organizations use different criteria for Alzheimer's stages. Some may identify five or seven different stages. The NIH recognizes three stages, with the final stage divided into three severity levels. Stage 1 Preclinical Alzheimer's. In stage 1, your brain may have begun to change. For example, imaging studies may reveal changes in nerve cells and the buildup of amyloid sharp S, beta, an abnormal protein that forms masses in the brain called plaques. 
During this stage, you may have no symptoms or symptoms that are too mild to notice. Your ADLs remain unimpaired. Stage 1 can last for many years or even decades. This stage is most often diagnosed in research studies, not in clinical practice. Stage 2 is called mild cognitive impairment, MCI. It's defined as more memory problems than are normal for your age. Symptoms still don't have a significant impact on ADL. Symptoms of MCI are usually mild and involve problems in cognition, brain-based abilities required to learn, form and retrieve memories, problem-solve, and pay attention. The first symptoms of Alzheimer's vary from person to person. You may experience memory loss, difficulty recalling known words, vision problems, impaired reasoning or judgment. These problems may lead to behaviors such as wandering and getting lost, forgetting to pay bills, missing appointments, losing things, repeatedly asking the same questions. Most people are diagnosed during this stage. Symptoms necessary for a diagnosis of MCI include concern about a change in cognition, compared to your previous level of function impairment of one or more cognitive functions, such as problem-solving or memory, that's greater than expected for your age and education level. Ability to perform ADLs, although they may have started becoming more difficult. Stage 3 not everyone with MCI will go on to develop the third and most severe stage of Alzheimer's disease. This stage involves problems with the brain, including loss of normal neuron, brain cell, connections, death of nerve cells due to amyloid plaques and other factors. Alzheimer's or dementia is classified by its severity. Mild dementia. In mild Alzheimer's, symptoms are severe enough to interfere with ADLs. They include Worsening memory loss, when compared to MCI poor judgment. Making bad decisions. Declines in motivation and spontaneity. Taking longer than normal to perform daily tasks. This leads to problems and behaviors such as. Repeating the same questions or stories over and over. Having difficulty balancing the checkbook, managing money, and or paying bills. Getting lost in familiar places. Wandering away from home. Losing things and finding them in very odd places, such as the cell phone in the refrigerator mood and personality changes. During mild dementia, other people may start noticing changes in mood and personality, especially increasing anxiety and aggression. Moderate dementia. The hallmark sign of moderate dementia is that supervision becomes increasingly necessary. Symptoms interfere more with ADLs and involve worsening memory loss and confusion an inability to learn anything new, worsening language problems, reading, writing, remembering words trouble calculating numbers, problems thinking logically, heightened problems with focus, declining attention span, trouble organizing thoughts, an inability to cope with stress or new situations. In addition, the following symptoms are notable in the moderate dementia stage. Difficulty with multi-step tasks such as following a recipe trouble recognizing people, including close friends and family members symptoms of paranoia, severe fear, delusions, believing things that are untrue, and hallucinations, seeing things that aren't their angry outbursts. Impulsive behavior. Inappropriate language. Restlessness, anxiety, and agitation.
wandering getting lost in familiar places, such as a person's own neighborhood impulsive behavior such as undressing at inappropriate times or places or using vulgar language. Inappropriate outbursts of anger. Repetitive movements or muscle twitches. Severe dementia. People with severe dementia are completely dependent on others for care and require 24-7 supervision. Symptoms from the moderate stage grow worse. Additional symptoms may be Trouble eating and swallowing Weight loss Inability to communicate Skin infections Loss of bowel and bladder control Constant sleeping or being bedridden Inability to walk Seizures Eventually, the body shuts down and death occurs. Alzheimer's didn't used to be diagnosable until memory loss and other symptoms became apparent. Now, studies have found changes in the brain may start 20 or even 30 years before the first symptoms begin. With the early stages better recognized, people are getting an earlier diagnosis. That means they can start treatments and preventive measures that may stave off symptoms and the progression to later stages. Alzheimer's disease involves three stages, preclinical disease, mild cognitive impairment, and dementia. The dementia stage is divided into mild, moderate, and severe categories. As the disease advances, symptoms of memory loss and other cognitive declines become more apparent and more likely to impair activities of daily living. The people who progress to the final stage need around-the-clock care and supervision. With advances in diagnosis, treatment, and prevention, fewer people advance to the dementia stage. When you or loved one is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, it can be frightening. It's normal to go through a grieving process as you adjust to living with the disease. Rest assured, though, that treatments are always improving. Fewer people are now progressing out of the earlier stages and into dementia. And future research is likely to improve the situation even more. Depression is both a risk factor and a prodrome of Alzheimer's disease. Depression is a common occurrence in all types of dementias and at all disease stages, including in mild cognitive impairment, MCI. Many studies have explored whether depression in MCI increased the conversion rate to dementia, but findings are inconsistent. Studies of the mechanisms are relatively few and findings inconsistent, but inflammatory, trophic and cerebrovascular factors may contribute in addition to monoamine deficiency and severity of plaques and tangle pathology. Studies of antidepressants for depression and dementia are inconclusive, with several negative findings reported in recent large studies, suggesting that antidepressant may not confer benefit over placebo. Several observational studies suggest that social participation and connectedness are protective against cognitive decline whereas loneliness is a risk factor for dementia. The possible mechanisms include effects on inflammatory process and immune function, reduced vascular disease risk, improved health behaviors, lower risk of depression, and increased cognitive reserve through cognitive stimulation and physical activity. Social networks have been shown to modify the relationship between Alzheimer's disease and cognitive impairment. The relationship of social networks is, however, reciprocal with dementia leading to social loss, which in turn worsens cognitive decline. Social reserve is conceptualized as both brain processes underlying the ability and predisposition to form meaningful social ties, and their instantiation as an environmental resource in high-quality networks. Depression is a fairly common experience for people with dementia. 
The Alzheimer's Association estimates that approximately 40% of people with Alzheimer's and related disorders suffer from depression. However, while common, it is not normal, nor is it inevitable. Although it's appropriate to grieve a diagnosis of dementia and the losses associated with the disease, it shouldn't be an all-encompassing feeling that removes joy from your entire life. Artificial intelligence and its division machine learning are emerging technologies that are increasingly applied in medicine. Artificial intelligence facilitates automatization of analytical modeling and contributes to prediction, diagnostics and treatment of diseases. This article presents an overview of the application of artificial intelligence in dementia research. Machine learning and its branch deep learning are widely used in research to support in diagnosis and prediction of dementia. Deep learning models in certain tasks often result in better accuracy of detection and prediction of dementia than traditional machine learning methods, but they are more costly in terms of run times and hardware requirements. Both machine learning and deep learning models have their own strengths and limitations. Currently, there are few datasets with limited data available to train machine learning models. There are very few commercial applications of machine learning in medical practice to date, mostly represented by mobile applications, which include questionnaires and psychometric assessments with limited machine learning data processing. It is also important to note that symptoms of depression in dementia may not appear as severe as in someone without dementia. For example, someone with depression and word-finding difficulties may not be as vocal about their feelings. It can become difficult to express feelings and so someone may simply withdraw or appear listless. A person who has a personal or family history of depression or anxiety prior to being diagnosed with dementia may be more prone to experiencing a mood disorder such as depression. Apathy and loss of interest, while a decreased desire to interact and participate in the activities occurring around you can be a sign of dementia, it can also point to depression. One way to tell the difference is to choose an activity that normally is enjoyable and notice your loved one's reactions. For example, if your wife has always loved seeing the grandchildren but now no longer pays much attention to them, this may be because she's feeling depressed. Likewise, if your dad has a favorite sports team but doesn't notice even when you turn the channel to the game, it's possible that his lack of interest is indicating feelings of depression. Increased tearfulness and prolonged periods of crying can indicate depression. Decreased appetite and weight loss, depression and dementia can manifest itself in your family members' eating habits. Your loved one might say that nothing tastes good anymore. Even if you bring him his favorite pastry, he might take one bite and push it away. A decreased appetite can, of course, be due to other medical diagnoses, so be sure to report this symptom to the physician. Change in sleep habits, excessive sleep and difficulty getting to or remaining sleeping can be signs of depression. Agitation and irritation, some people with dementia who are depressed display agitation and restlessness, and are more easily irritated with other people or their surroundings. Multiple physical complaints, complaints and concerns about several physical ailments can be a sign of depression. Clearly, there may also be medical explanations for those physical complaints, but in the absence of a specific cause, it's possible that depression may be present. Fatigue, some people tire more easily when struggling with depression. They may complain of having no energy anymore. Tests to evaluate depression Cornell screen for depression and dementia. This screen consists of several questions to ask the person to answer, as well as to have an informant answer. 
the informant can be anyone who knows the person in question well, such as a relative or consistent caregiver. The Cornell screen includes questions about appetite, weight loss, mood, sleep, physical complaints, and behavior. A score of above 18 signifies a major depression and a score above 10 indicates a probable depression. Alzheimer's disease can cause aphasia, which is a decline in language function due to brain disease. Alzheimer's disease is progressive dementia that causes impaired memory, judgment, and general cognitive functioning. Aphasia in Alzheimer's disease often begins with word-finding problems, including difficulty choosing or recalling the right word. It can progress affect someone's ability to express themselves, and it can involve comprehension too. Brain tumors, infections, and injuries can also cause aphasia. Aphasia is a language deficit caused by brain disease or brain damage. It ranges in severity, meaning it can be very mild or so severe that communication is nearly impossible. There are several types of aphasia, each caused by damage to a specific region in the brain that controls certain features of language. Aphasia is usually associated with stroke, head trauma, or dementia. It is rarely associated with other diseases, such as multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's disease. The condition takes several forms. Dementia-associated aphasia is gradual and is associated with other effects of dementia, such as personality changes and memory loss. Aphasia from a stroke happens abruptly, when an area of the brain becomes damaged due to insufficient blood supply. Aphasia due to head trauma can have fluctuating symptoms. Aphasia is an acquired communication disorder that impairs a person's ability to process language. Aphasia impairs the ability to speak and understand others. It does not affect intelligence. Aphasia can manifest with difficulty in comprehension and or expression. Aphasia that's associated with dementia includes word-finding problems. It may cause a person to hesitate at length, and mentally search for the right word, before speaking. Alternatively, when they try to speak, they may use an incorrect word that starts with the same letter of the desired word, floor instead of flower or sack instead of sand. Or they may describe what the word means, you know, the thing on the wall with the numbers and the time. Word finding aphasia may manifest with Tip of the tongue experiences Difficulty naming objects or people Impaired understanding of spoken or written words Diminished ability to write or writing the wrong words Hesitancy in speaking Someone with early dementia may have greater difficulty speaking than comprehending. But sometimes, it's hard to be sure. They may simply appear as if they understand, for example, by nodding their head. Other early signs of Alzheimer's dementia can also appear along with aphasia. These signs include forgetfulness, confusion, emotional outbursts, personality changes, and a sudden lack of inhibition. Many adults can relate to the feeling of being unable to retrieve a word. They may call it a brain jam or brain fog. But if you've noticed this happening to a loved one with greater frequency, start taking note of when and how often it occurs. Does it happen when they're tired, multitasking, or extremely stressed? Or does it happen when they're calm and relaxed? If you see a pattern that is truly interfering with their ability to communicate effectively, it may be helpful to ask a mutual acquaintance if they've noticed any changes in your loved one's behavior before consulting a healthcare provider. Aphasia occurs when areas of the brain that control language are damaged, making it difficult to speak, read, and write. The four main types of aphasia are Anomic aphasia, 
or when someone has difficulty remembering the correct word for objects, places, or events. Expressive aphasia, or when someone knows what they want to say but have trouble saying or writing what they mean. Global aphasia, or when someone lacks the ability to speak, read, write, or understand speech. Receptive aphasia, or when someone hears someone speaking or reads something in print but cannot make sense of the words too. Aphasia due to dementia is caused by the gradual degeneration of cells in the frontal lobe and limbic system of the brain. These areas control memory, judgment, problem solving, and emotions. It generally does not follow the speech pattern of other types of aphasia. With dementia, impairment of semantic memory, the memory for understanding and recognizing words, is a significant contributor to word finding difficulties. Primary progressive aphasia is a specific type of aphasia caused by dementia that results from degeneration of the frontal and temporal regions. It typically occurs in frontotemporal dementia, FTD, and also in Alzheimer's disease. It starts gradually, usually with word-finding difficulty and problems with naming and pronunciation. As it progresses, people develop problems with comprehension, reading, and writing. They may also lose their ability to speak. Word-finding aphasia is a common symptom of early-stage Alzheimer's disease, but there are others. Your doctor will ask about your loved one's symptoms and may want to speak with family members. Interestingly, aphasia affects a person's second language before it begins to affect their first language. The doctor will also consider your loved one's baseline language ability during the assessment. For example, your loved one would be expected to demonstrate familiarity with words in their field of work. Forgetting words that they've presumably used often and easily could be a warning sign of dementia or aphasia. The evaluation might also include a physical examination, including a comprehensive neurological examination, to help distinguish different causes of aphasia. The verbal fluency test or the Boston naming test. An online dementia test called the self-administered gerocognitive exam SAGE test. It evaluates thinking abilities. Diagnostic tests, such as brain imaging tests, if there is a concern that your loved one might have had a stroke. Multiple answers possible. Unlike traditional tests that you may remember from school, there are multiple correct answers to some questions on the SAGE test. A physician should score a SAGE test. The best ways to try to prevent aphasia mirror prevention tips for many other diseases. And they all boil down to one point, live a healthy lifestyle. In this case, your loved one should focus on reducing the risk of stroke. By now, you may know the drill. Eat a healthy, balanced diet. Maintain a healthy weight. Exercise regularly. Quit smoking and drinking, if applicable. Be proactive about keeping blood sugar, cholesterol, blood sugar, and blood pressure levels low. Stay mentally active with activities like puzzles and word games. Prevent falls and head injuries. Exercise matters. Exercising results in more blood flowing to the brain, which is a good thing. Even a small amount of exercise each week is enough to enhance cognitive function and prevent aphasia. If your loved one is at risk for stroke, lifestyle factors and medication can reduce the risk. Even if aphasia is caused solely by dementia, having a stroke can substantially worsen the symptoms. Treatment for aphasia involves a multidisciplinary approach that might call for medication and therapy. A doctor can prescribe medication for the treatment of dementia, which may help slow the progression of the disease.
Otherwise, aphasia is treated by working with a speech and language therapist to improve your loved one's ability to communicate with others. This should be an ongoing process, especially if the underlying cause of the aphasia continues to progress. Researchers are studying two types of brain stimulation, transcranial magnetic stimulation and transcranial direct current stimulation, to help improve recallability. No one ever said that it's easy to care for or even be in the presence of someone whose communication skills are faltering. Being patient and supportive is your best coping strategy. Maintain eye contact and adopt a calm tone of voice. Use short, simple words. Don't offer guesses, rattle off word choices, or finish sentences. It's easier than you think to frustrate and overwhelm someone with aphasia. Give your loved one time to speak. Don't roll your eyes, snicker, or show any other signs of impatience when you know your loved one is doing their best to communicate. Incorporate facial cues, gestures, and visual aids into communication rather than relying only on words. Ask for verbal and nonverbal clarification. For example, if your loved one says that their fig hurts, ask if their finger hurts and point to it. Don't argue, even if your loved one baits you. Try to appreciate just being together, even when you aren't talking. When all is said and done, you may find that the best ways to communicate are with your presence, touch, and tone of voice. Aphasia occurs when areas of the brain that control language are damaged. This impairs the ability to speak and understand. The symptoms often include an inability to understand spoken or written words and difficulty speaking or writing. The four main types of aphasia include expressive aphasia, someone knows what they want to say but have trouble saying or writing it, receptive aphasia, when someone hears a voice or sees the print but can't make sense of the words, anomic aphasia, difficulty using the correct word for objects, places, or events, and global aphasia, when someone cannot speak, understand speech, read, or write. Prevention and treatment for aphasia involve a multidisciplinary approach that might call for medication and therapy. Anxiety disorders occur when feelings of intense fear or anxiety become so overwhelming that they cause significant distress or prevent you from doing everyday activities. Depending on the type of anxiety disorder, these feelings could be triggered by certain situations, people, or objects. They can also reflect excessive worry about a variety of everyday situations. Mood disorders affect a person's emotional state. People with these disorders may experience long periods of abnormally sad, elevated or irritable moods. Depression and bipolar disorder are examples of mood disorders. Personality disorders are characterized by long-term patterns of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that are unhealthy and inflexible. These patterns can cause problems with relationships and work. People with these disorders often have unstable relationships with others. Eating disorders involve serious problems with thoughts about food and eating behaviors. People with eating disorders may eat too much, too little, or cut out whole food groups entirely. These disorders can lead to health issues, such as heart and kidney problems. Treatment often involves getting help from nutritionists and mental health professionals. Short for post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD could happen after someone experienced or witnessed a traumatic event. It could be any event in which someone is exposed to the threat of death, serious injury, or sexual violence, such as a serious accident or natural disaster. People with this disorder have intense, disturbing thoughts and feelings about their experience long after it happened. 
Psychotic disorders cause abnormal thinking and perception. People with these disorders lose touch with reality, and often experience delusions and hallucinations. Delusions are false beliefs, while hallucinations are false perceptions. Schizophrenia is one type of psychotic disorder. Cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, is a form of psychotherapy used to treat a wide range of mental disorders. Examples include depression, anxiety disorders, and eating disorders. CBT involves using a variety of techniques and approaches to change dysfunctional thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. Short for Borderline Personality Disorder, BPD is characterized by unstable mood, self-image, and behavior. People with this disorder experience mood swings, intense episodes of anger, fears of abandonment and suicidal thoughts and behaviors. They also have a distorted or constantly changing sense of self. Other symptoms include unstable relationships and impulsive, often dangerous behaviors. Examples include shopping sprees and reckless driving. Schizophrenia is a psychotic disorder that interferes with a person's perception of reality. People living with this condition may not be able to tell what is real and what is not. There are different types of schizophrenia symptoms. Positive symptoms are those that are abnormally present, such as hallucinations, paranoia, or disorganized thoughts and behaviors. Negative symptoms refer to those that are abnormally absent, such as a lack of motivation or an inability to express emotions. Also known as major depressive disorder, depression is characterized by feelings of sadness, low mood, and loss of interest in usual activities. It interferes with a person's ability to perform daily tasks. There are different specifiers that can further characterize types of depression, including perinatal depression, seasonal affective disorder, and psychotic depression. If you are concerned that you may have dementia, it's important to speak with a healthcare provider and start the diagnostic process as soon as possible. Though there is no single dementia test, healthcare providers can use your medical history and a combination of tests to evaluate your symptoms and determine the cause. If you're worried about possible signs of dementia, you may want to keep a record of how often you notice these memory and thinking problems. You can even ask a family member or close friend how often they've noticed them. There is also a cognitive assessment called the Self-Administered Gericognitive Exam, SAGE, that is available online for people to use in the comfort of their own homes. You can take the test at home and see how you do, but be aware that the results should be brought to a healthcare provider for review. Usually, you will want to start with your primary care provider, PCP. Some PCPs will handle this evaluation completely themselves, while others will refer you to a specialist in memory and cognition. No single test that can determine if someone has dementia. Instead, healthcare providers use a collection of tests, scans, and assessments to determine what is causing your symptoms. The tests that your healthcare provider orders will depend on what other symptoms you're having, in addition to the changes in your cognitive abilities. Testing aims to learn more about what is causing your problems. You should share with your practitioner any symptoms you're having, in addition to your memory and thought process difficulties. This includes things like changes in balance or walking, coordination, activity level, and overall health. Note how long you've had the symptoms and the impact they're having on your life. Also give your provider a complete list of the medications that you're taking. This includes any over-the-counter supplements or natural products you're taking, since they may interact with your prescriptions or with each other.
Cognitive tests are used to evaluate thinking abilities such as memory, concentration, problem-solving, and language skills. Many tests have been developed to evaluate a person's mental ability, most of which take 15 to 30 minutes to complete. Some of the most commonly used cognitive tests include Mini Mental State Examination, MMSE Mini Cog Montreal Cognitive Assessment, MOCA St. Louis University Mental Status Exam, SLUMS Blood Tests Your healthcare provider may order blood tests to rule out other causes of your symptoms. Some of the most common blood tests investigate Infection Electrolyte levels Kidney function Liver function Thyroid function Vitamin B12 deficiency Brain scans A healthcare provider may also use brain scans to rule out other conditions that can cause dementia-like symptoms, such as brain tumors and stroke. For example, scans can help determine whether a person has vascular dementia, due to reduced blood flow to the brain, or Alzheimer's. Computed tomography, CT, and magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, are the most common type of brain scans used to check for these problems in the brain. Sometimes, the diagnosis from the healthcare provider is labeled as a specific type of dementia, such as Alzheimer's, Lewy body dementia, vascular dementia, or frontotemporal dementia. This can help direct effective treatment and help you develop appropriate expectations for how the dementia may progress over time. In some cases, dementia symptoms may also be caused by more than one medical condition, such as the case of mixed dementia. Mixed dementia is diagnosed when it's suspected or known that two or more diseases are causing dementia, such as a combination of Alzheimer's and vascular dementia. Some people feel like they'd rather not know if they have dementia if there's no cure available at this time. However, there are several benefits of an early diagnosis. Even though receiving a dementia diagnosis is difficult, it can also help explain why you've been having a harder time with your memory or decisions. Some people report feeling relief in knowing the cause of these symptoms. There's also a benefit to knowing about your dementia so you can take the opportunity to make decisions for your future and communicate them to those around you. One of the common reactions to a difficult situation is denial. It's not unusual to say, I don't think this is correct. It's got to be something else. While this questioning may be a part of the grieving process of this diagnosis, it could also have its merits. It's not always a bad idea to get a second opinion. Memory problems, confusion, and sluggishness aren't always a sign of dementia. Treatable conditions like dehydration, vitamin deficiency, and depression also have similar symptoms. It's possible that your dementia-like symptoms could be from a reversible condition that, once treated appropriately, could improve. When facing the decision of placing a loved one in an assisted living or nursing home facility, caregivers consistently wonder if there are certain signs that indicate when the time is right or if there are clear factors to acknowledge. If you're starting to feel that the challenge of balancing everything in life might be too much, consider that it might be time for assistance. Families often experience guilt and anxiety related to the very thought of care facility placement. They may have even made a promise years ago to their loved one that they would never put them in a home. Even more, they may feel like it's their duty to care for their loved ones in their own home. Others may have had a bad experience, or heard of one, with a care facility and are fearful of making the decision. They're either concerned that their loved one will not be cared for as well at a facility as they are at home, 
or worried that placement in a facility will cause a faster decline in functioning and quality of life. Occasionally, there are sudden situations when it's clear that the time has come to move to an assisted living or a long-term care facility. These can include severe illness, injury, hospitalization or death of the caregiver, hospitalization of the person who needs care. These abrupt changes often necessitate immediate facility placement. Sometimes, individuals even end up in facilities almost overnight, with very little time to research all of their options. You've hurt your back or fallen when trying to lift or move your loved one. Your loved one's Alzheimer's disease has progressed to the point where they try to hurt you or exhibit other challenging behaviors, such as paranoia or frequent anger. Your family member has wandered outside and become lost. You're dropping the ball with other life responsibilities. You display several signs of caregiver burnout. For example, you recently lost your temper when your loved one was resisting getting dressed or was following you everywhere you went inside the house. Your own health, either physical or emotional, is declining. This may include conditions such as high blood pressure, arrhythmia, headaches, gastrointestinal problems, anxiety, and or depression. Your most important relationships are significantly suffering. You have surgery or another planned medical procedure coming up. Your healthcare provider has said that it's time for assisted living placement. Your loved one has care needs that you really can't handle well, despite your best efforts. You've had friends or family members repeatedly express concern for you and encourage you to look into the option of a care facility. You have tried other options and resources to keep your loved one at home but they just aren't providing enough assistance. Financially, assisted living is more feasible than paying for the amount of in-home services that would be needed to meet your loved one's care needs. If one or more of these signs sounds familiar, it may be time to go forward with planning a move to a care facility. Be sure to talk with others around you who are familiar with the facilities in your community and who can help make a recommendation. Dropping in on facilities to visit can also give you a feel for the place. Researching your options is key to choosing a good care facility for your loved one. Thinking about care options for your loved one can be stressful. Although sometimes it feels like you can manage it, there may be other times when you feel like you're just not able to do it all. Some people even describe feeling as if they are drowning in the responsibility and the burden of the caregiver role. Aeth non acknowledging these feelings, however, does not take anything away from the love you have for the person you're caring for. Keep in mind that if your health or emotional well-being suffers too much, you won't be much help to your loved one. Planning well can help you continue to be there for your loved one, so you can keep providing the support he or she needs during the challenges of this journey. Nearly 10% of Americans suffer from depression, with the mood disorder increasing fastest among teens and young adults, a new study finds. Between 2015 and 2020, incidents of depression reached 9% among Americans 12 and older. Among teens and young adults, the depression rate stood at 17% in 2020, the researchers found. Depression is extremely common in the U.S. and has reached epidemic levels. Depression is a public health problem, analogous to the flu, that needs to be addressed with public health strategies. Experts say doctors should be on the lookout for depression. Given the increase in depression, primary care doctors should be screening their patients for it regularly. Medical providers who are screening for depression signals to patients that talking about depression, 
Talking about your mental health is important for overall health. There is no need to suffer in silence with these symptoms. There are treatment options available. From 2015 to 2020, depression rose fastest among teens and young adults ages 12 and older, while remaining unchanged among adults 35 and older, according to data from the 2015 to 2020 National Survey on Drug Use and Health. The highest rates of depression were seen among white people. Women, adults who were not married and folks with the lowest income had the top rates, the researchers reported. Still, it is possible that there is a decline in stigma, which leads to increased reporting, and therefore, an increase reflects greater comfort with reporting versus a true increase, she said. Yet, if this is the case, it is unclear why the same level of increase in reporting is not consistent across various groups. But this does remain a factor to consider. Also unclear is why there's not a corresponding increase in the number of people seeking treatment and telling professionals about depression, researcher said. One explanation could be that someone is comfortable reporting it on a survey, but stigma and embarrassment arise when telling another person face-to-face. -face. No one factor is to blame, it's possible that growing feelings of helplessness and economic distress are fueling depression the leading mental health disorder in the nation. And the researchers pointed out that early data from 2020 indicate that the COVID-19 pandemic has only made mental health worse in the United States. Depression is a primary driver of suicide and suicide attempts, and it's possible that the rise in suicide seen in the United States could be tied to the growing prevalence of depression. Depression manifests in a wide variety of symptoms, and it is not the same for all people. Common signs or sadness, loss of interest or enjoyment in usual activities, trouble sleeping, appetite disturbance and trouble concentrating. But depression can also manifest as irritability, indecisiveness, inability to focus, hopelessness, indifference and lack of energy. Symptoms often differ widely depending on age and other factors. Public education and wide dissemination of information to the public about what depression looks like what it is and how to go about accessing treatment is urgently needed, just like with other epidemics. More funding is desperately needed to provide and improve access to affordable, quality mental health care. Early untreated depression can result in long-term consequences with additional mental health and general health conditions. Preventative treatment strategies targeting early intervention would be recommended. This includes better public initiatives in the schools and with primary care doctors, so they can identify and treat depression and refer to more specialized providers, such as adult and child psychiatrists. Depression is a common mental disorder. Globally, it is estimated that 5% of adults suffer from depression. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide and is a major contributor to the overall global burden of disease. More women are affected by depression than men. Depression can lead to suicide. There is effective treatment for mild, moderate, and severe depression. And depression is a common illness worldwide, with an estimated 3.8% of the population affected, including 5.0% among adults and 5.7% among adults older than 60 years. Approximately 280 million people in the world have depression. Depression is different from usual mood fluctuations and short-lived emotional responses to challenges in everyday life. Especially when recurrent and with moderate or severe intensity, depression may become a serious health condition. It can cause the affected person to suffer greatly and function poorly at work, at school and in the family. At its worst, 
depression can lead to suicide. Over 700,000 people die due to suicide every year. Suicide is the fourth leading cause of death in 15 to 29 year olds. Although there are known, effective treatments for mental disorders, more than 75% of people in low and middle income countries receive no treatment. Barriers to effective care include a lack of resources, lack of trained healthcare providers and social stigma associated with mental disorders. In countries of all income levels, people who experience depression are often not correctly diagnosed, and others who do not have the disorder are too often misdiagnosed and prescribed antidepressants. During a depressive episode, the person experiences depressed mood, feeling sad, irritable, empty, or loss of pleasure or interest in activities, for most of the day, nearly every day, for at least two weeks. Several other symptoms are also present, which may include poor concentration, feelings of excessive guilt or low self-worth, hopelessness about the future, thoughts about dying or suicide, disrupted sleep, changes in appetite or weight, and feeling especially tired or low in energy. In some cultural contexts, some people may express their mood changes more readily in the form of bodily symptoms, pain, fatigue, weakness. Yet, these physical symptoms are not due to another medical condition. During a depressive episode, the person experiences significant difficulty in personal, family, social, educational, occupational, and or other important areas of functioning. A depressive episode can be categorized as mild, moderate, or severe depending on the number and severity of symptoms, as well as the impact on the individual's functioning. There are different patterns of mood disorders including single episode depressive disorder, meaning the person's first and only episode, recurrent depressive disorder, meaning the person has a history of at least two depressive episodes, and bipolar disorder, meaning that depressive episodes alternate with periods of manic symptoms, which include euphoria or irritability, increased activity or energy, and other symptoms such as increased talkativeness, racing thoughts, increased self-esteem, decreased need for sleep, distractibility, and impulsive reckless behavior. Depression results from a complex interaction of social, psychological, and biological factors. People who have gone through adverse life events, unemployment, bereavement, traumatic events, are more likely to develop depression. Depression can, in turn, lead to more stress and dysfunction and worsen the affected person's life situation and the depression itself. There are interrelationships between depression and physical health. For example, cardiovascular disease can lead to depression and vice versa. Prevention programs have been shown to reduce depression. Effective community approaches to prevent depression include school-based programs to enhance a pattern of positive coping in children and adolescents. Interventions for parents of children with behavioral problems may reduce parental depressive symptoms and improve outcomes for their children. Exercise programs for older persons can also be effective in depression prevention. Depending on the severity and pattern of depressive episodes over time, healthcare providers may offer psychological treatments such as behavioral activation, cognitive behavioral therapy and interpersonal psychotherapy, and or antidepressant medications such as selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, and tricyclic antidepressants, TCAs. Different medications are used for bipolar disorder. Healthcare providers should keep in mind the possible adverse effects associated with antidepressant medication, 
the ability to deliver either intervention, in terms of expertise, and or treatment availability, and individual preferences. Different psychological treatment formats for consideration include individual and or group face-to-face -face psychological treatments delivered by professionals and supervised lay therapists. Antidepressants are not the first line of treatment for mild depression. They should not be used for treating depression in children and are not the first line of treatment in adolescents, among whom they should be used with extra caution. Major Depressive Disorder, MDD, commonly known as clinical depression, is one of the most common mental disorders worldwide. Many different factors can contribute to a person's depressive state and depression is often an overlapping diagnosis along with other medical conditions and or mental disorders. The most prominent symptoms of major depression are a severe and persistent low mood, profound sadness, or a sense of despair. A major depressive episode, MDE, is a period of time characterized by symptoms of major depression. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders defines a major depressive episode as experiencing a depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure in daily activities, accompanied by problems with sleeping, eating, energy, concentration, or self-worth for two weeks or longer. Depressive episodes can be triggered by the death of a loved one, a breakup, job loss, financial stress, a medical condition, and substance use disorder among other triggers. Depression affects people by changing their level of functioning in many areas of their life, says Yoon. Namely, people's sleep, appetite, concentration, mood, energy level, physical health, and social lives can change dramatically due to the symptoms of depression. Often people who struggle with depression will describe having difficulty getting out of bed, having little to no motivation or energy to do the things they typically do, and feeling irritable or very sad. All of these different things certainly make living life much harder. More than 264 million people suffer from depression worldwide. Depression is the leading cause of disability in the world. Neuropsychiatric disorders are the leading cause of disability in the U.S. with major depressive disorder being the most common. 17.3 million adults, 7.1% of the adult population, have had at least one major depressive episode. Of those with major depressive episodes, 63.8% of adults and 70.77% of adolescents had severe impairment. Women are nearly twice as likely as men to have depression. Major depressive episodes were most prevalent among adults, 11.3%, and adolescents, 16.9%, reporting two or more races. Adolescents aged 12 to 17 years old had the highest rate of major depressive episodes. 14.4%, followed by young adults 18 to 25 years old, 13.8%. Older adults aged 50 and older had the lowest rate of major depressive episodes, 4.5%. 11.5 million adults had a major depressive episode with severe impairment in the past year as of 2018. Severe depression among college students rose from 9.4% to 21.1% from 2013 to 2018. The rate of moderate to severe depression rose from 23.2% to 41.1% from 2007 to 2018. Postpartum depression is depression suffered by a mother who has recently undergone childbirth, typically occurring within three months to a year after giving birth. This may be due to hormonal changes, changes in lifestyle, and parenthood fatigue. 
about 70% to 80% of women will experience the baby blues characterized by negative feelings or mood swings after childbirth. 10% to 20% of new mothers experience clinical postpartum depression. 1 in 7 women may experience PPD within a year of giving birth. Paternal depression ranged from 24% to 50% in men who had partners with postpartum depression. Women with a history of depression, anxiety disorders, or serious mood disorders are 30% to 35% more likely to develop postpartum depression. Although the holiday season during the months of November and December are typically thought of as joyful, this is not the reality for everyone. Some develop depressive symptoms during these months. Stress levels reportedly increase during the holiday season for 38% of people. Of people with mental illness, 64% report holidays make their symptoms worse. Of those who reported feeling sad or dissatisfied during the holidays, more than two-thirds of them felt financially stressed and or lonely. Two-thirds of those who commit suicide struggle with depression. Of those diagnosed with depression, 1% of women and 7% of men commit suicide. The risk of suicide is about 20 times greater among those diagnosed with major depression in comparison to those without major depression. Suicide is one of the leading causes of death for 15 to 19-year-olds. Reports of suicide attempts among college students increased from 0.7% to 1.8% from 2013 to 2018. The National Network of Depression Disorders has many resources available for those experiencing depression or suicidal thoughts. Here are some additional treatment locators and helplines. Behavioral Health Treatment Services Locator Substance Use Disorder Treatment Locator National Suicide Prevention Lifeline or call 1-800-273-8255 National Alliance on Mental Health Helpline or call 1-800-950-6264 Treating Depression Psychotherapy, Prescription Medication or a combination of both are used to treat depression. There are also alternative or complementary therapy approaches, which have been found to be beneficial to mitigate the symptoms of depression, says researcher. These include light therapy, vitamins or supplements, physical exercise, mindfulness-based meditation, and other creative expressive forms of therapy. Of those who had a major depressive episode, adults aged 50 or older had the highest treatment rate for depression, 78.9%. Adolescents aged 12 to 17 had the lowest treatment rate, 41.4%. Almost 25 million adults in the U.S. have been taking antidepressants for at least two years, a 60% increase since 2010. Women are twice as likely to take antidepressants than men. It's not uncommon for someone with an anxiety disorder to also suffer from depression or vice versa. Nearly one half of those diagnosed with depression are also diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Find out more about depression. Panic disorder, PDPD affects 6 million adults or 2.7% of the U.S. population. NIM, panic disorders. Women are twice as likely to be affected as men. Social anxiety disorder. SAD affects 15 million adults or 7.1% of the U.S. population. NIM, Social Anxiety Disorder. SAD is equally common among men and women and typically begins around age 13. According to a 2007 ADA survey, 36% of people with social anxiety disorder report, experiencing symptoms for 10 or more years before seeking help. 
Specific phobias. Specific phobias affect 19.3 million adults or 9.1% of the U.S. population. NIM, specific phobias. Women are twice as likely to be affected than men. Symptoms typically begin in childhood, the average age of onset is 7 years old. Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, OCD, and Post Traumatic Stress Disorder, PTSD, are closely related to anxiety disorders, which some may experience at the same time, along with depression. Stress Everyone experiences stress and anxiety at one time or another. The difference between them is that stress is a response to a threat in a situation. Anxiety is a reaction to stress. Obsessive Compulsive Disorder OCD OCD affects 2.5 million adults or 1.2% of the U.S. population. NIM, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. Women are 3x more likely to be affected than men. The average age of onset is 19, with 25% of cases occurring by age 14. One-third of affected adults first experience symptoms in childhood. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD PTSD affects 7.7 million adults or 3.6% of the U.S. population. NIM, post-traumatic stress disorder. Women are 5x more likely to be affected than men. Rape is the most likely trigger of PTSD, 65% of men and 45.9% of women who are raped will develop the disorder. Childhood sexual abuse is a strong predictor of the lifetime likelihood of developing PTSD. Related illnesses Many people with an anxiety disorder also have a co-occurring disorder or physical illness, which can make their symptoms worse and recovery more difficult. It's essential to be treated for both disorders. Obsessive-compulsive disorder, OCD, and post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, are closely related to anxiety disorders which some may experience at the same time, along with depression. The co-occurrence of anxiety and these disorders. Adult ADHD, Attention Deficit Slash Hyperactive Disorder Bipolar Disorder. BDD, Body Dysmorphic Disorder Eating Disorders. Fibromyalgia. Headaches. Irritable Bowel Syndrome, IBS Sleep Disorders. Stress. Substance Abuse. Anxiety disorders affect 31.9% of adolescents between 13 and 18 years old. Research shows that untreated teenagers with anxiety disorders are at higher risk to perform poorly in school, miss out on important social experiences, and engage in substance abuse. See statistics for anxiety disorders among children from the National Institute of Mental Health. Anxiety disorders also often co-occur with other disorders such as depression, eating disorders, and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. Childhood anxiety disorders. Anxiety and depression. Treatment. Tips for parents and caregivers. Anxiety disorders at school. School refusal. Older adults. Anxiety is as common among older adults as among the young. Generalized Anxiety Disorder, GAD, is the most common anxiety disorder among older adults, though anxiety disorders in this population are frequently associated with traumatic events such as a fall or acute illness. Read the best way to treat anxiety disorders in older adults. Anxiety disorders are treatable, ask your doctor and the vast majority of people with an anxiety disorder can be helped with professional care. Several standard approaches have proved effective therapy. Medication. 
Complementary and Alternative Treatment Transcranial Magnetic Stimulation Depression is a serious medical condition that is associated with symptoms such as melancholy, loss of pleasure, loss of energy, difficulty in concentrating, and suicidal thoughts. Depression is both a brain disorder and a state of mind. The brain is unique it is the only organ whose function we consciously experience because the brain is the organ of the mind. Illnesses of the mind-brain affect tens of millions of people in the United States. Depression is by far the most prevalent, representing 99% of all mind-brain illness. Schizophrenia and major psychotic illness represent the remaining 1%. The umbrella of depression encompasses major depressive disorder and its related mood disorders including bipolar disorder, postpartum depression, post-traumatic stress syndrome, anxiety disorder and suicide. Depression in the United States Affects over 18 million adults, 1 in 10, in any given year. Is the leading cause of disability for ages 15 to 44. Is the primary reason why someone dies of suicide about every 12 minutes over 41,000 people a year. Causes 490 million disability days from work each year in the U.S. Accounts for $23 billion in lost work days each year. Takes an economic toll over $100 billion each year from United States business. Affects over 300 million people worldwide, regardless of culture, age, gender, religion, race or economic status. Is one of the most debilitating conditions on the world, with severe depression rated in the same disability category as terminal stage cancer. Is the leading cause of disability worldwide, and is a major contributor to the overall global burden of disease. Bipolar disorder affects 2.6% of the U.S. adult population, or 6.3 million people. It often starts in a person's late teen or early adult years. But children and older adults can have bipolar disorder too. The illness usually lasts a lifetime. Postpartum depression is reported to occur in 15% of women shortly before or any time after childbirth, but commonly begins between a week and a month after delivery has a higher risk of developing in women with a previous experience with depression, current depression, anxiety and low partner support. Affects not just the mother's health, but can also interfere with her ability to care for her family, leading to impaired child development. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, affects about 8 million adults in a given year. Frequently occurs after violent personal assaults such as rape, mugging or domestic violence, terrorism natural or human-caused disasters, and accidents. Affects 11 to 20 out of every 100 veterans who served in Iraq. Affects 12 out of every 100 veterans who served in the Gulf War. Affects 15 out of every 100 Vietnam War veterans according to the most recent study in the late 1980s, the National Vietnam Veterans Readjustment Study. It is estimated that about 30 out of every 100 Vietnam veterans have PTSD in their lifetime. Generalized anxiety disorder affects 2-4% of the adult U.S. population, or 5-9 to 9 million people. Has a median age of onset of 31 years. Suicide was the 10th leading cause of death for all ages in 2013. Results in the death of four times as many men as women, and represents 77.9% of all suicides. Is the second leading cause of death among persons aged 15 to 34 years, and the third leading cause of death among persons aged 10 to 14. Every day, approximately 110 Americans take their own life, 
and roughly 3,500 attempt to do so. If you think living in a pandemic for the past few years has affected your mental well-being, you're not alone. Incidents of depression, which already affect 280 million people worldwide, have increased since the arrival of COVID-19. But while rates of depression and anxiety rose globally by more than 25% in 2020, according to one study, this hasn't necessarily led to a surge in people seeking help. Since the start of the pandemic, we're seeing people becoming much more aware of their depressive symptoms. However, we aren't seeing more people seeking treatment. And if depression is left untreated, it can increasingly affect other medical conditions, along with the ability to function at work, school and relationships, and suicide rates. Depression comes in many forms. Depression is more than just feeling down or having a bad day, it interferes with daily functioning and can affect people in different ways. Here are the most common types of depression. Major depressive disorder, the most common type, occurs when someone feels sad, has trouble enjoying activities or experiences previously enjoyed. Other symptoms include difficulty sleeping, changes in appetite, a lack of energy, problems with concentration slash making decisions, a sense of hopelessness or experiencing thoughts that life is not worth living, or thoughts of suicide that last for more than two weeks. Bipolar disorder, depression, happens when someone switches between a depressed state to a hypomanic or manic state. However, most people who have bipolar disorder spend most of their time feeling depressed having symptoms which are the same as a major depressive disorder. Chronic depression is defined as those who have been depressed for two or more years. This type is commonly found in people who have never received treatment. Seasonal depression usually takes place during the fall or winter, and then a person's mood may lift in the spring and summer. The reverse can also be true. Depression is one of the most treatable illnesses in medicine. There is no reason that we can't get everyone's depression under good control. The goal of treating depression is remission when people return to their selves and level of functioning as they were before the illness not just improving symptoms. You have to get rid of every symptom because even if you have one residual symptom, your risk of getting depressed again increases, and it's almost inevitable. Treating depression is not a one-size-fits-all approach and can depend on your biology, medical background family history, among other factors. Here are a few common strategies to treat depression. Antidepressants are medications prescribed for those with moderate to severe symptoms of major depressive disorder. Augmentation is when other medications are added to the antidepressant to achieve greater impact when the antidepressant alone has not provided a full remission. Psychotherapy is a form of treatment in which practitioners learn about the conditions, moods, feelings, thoughts and behaviors of a person. This strategy focuses on training the brain to adapt to negative feelings or emotions. Cognitive behavioral therapy is among the most common evidence-based form of psychotherapy that focuses on patients' present thoughts, behaviors and ways of communicating rather than on past experiences. It teaches problem-solving as a solution. There are many misconceptions about antidepressants. A common one is that they change your personality. Personality features are lifelong patterns of behaviors and interpersonal reactions those are not going to change with antidepressants unless personality features have been affected by the depression ask your doctor for advice. Rare studies report the worsening suicidal thoughts for people under the age of 25 treated with antidepressants, 
but that does not mean antidepressants cause these events everyone treated with an antidepressant should always be monitored closely for worsening or new suicidal thoughts, and the risks associated with untreated depression. The goal of treatment is toward the ultimate improvement of depressive symptoms including suicidal thoughts. The doctor stresses the importance of contacting 911 or your doctor if you or someone you know is having significant new or worsening of suicidal thoughts or behavior. Depression and seeking help for the illness have long been seen as a form of weakness within society. Although many people, including celebrities and professional athletes, have come forward to share their experiences with this illness, there is still more work to be done before depression is seen as a serious disease, not just something someone can choose to get better from. If not taken seriously, depression can be deadly. Studies show that up to 20% of people with depression may die by suicide, which increases to 25% for those with bipolar depression. And for those with depression who can function, they have to force themselves to in certain instances. It is a very debilitating illness and should be treated as such. Mental illness is common in the United States. Each year, one in five U.S. adults experience any type of mental illness. About one in 20 U.S. adults each year experience serious mental illness. Approximately half of Americans will be diagnosed with a mental illness or disorder at some time in their life. Mental health is a state of cognitive, behavioral, and emotional well-being in which a person is functioning successfully and productively. Mental disorders are health conditions characterized by changes in thinking, mood, and or behaviors that are associated with distress and or impaired functioning. Mental illness is a blanket term to collectively refer to all diagnosable mental disorders. Mental disorders include Major depressive disorder Bipolar disorder Anxiety disorders Obsessive-compulsive disorder, OCD schizophrenia Each year, approximately 1 in 5 U.S. adults live with any mental illness, AMI, ranging from mild to severe. Approximately 1 in 20 experience serious mental illness, SMI, which can be debilitating.246. Anxiety is the most common mental health disorder in the United States, affecting about 48 million adults, about 19% of the population. Anxiety disorders include Generalized Anxiety Disorder, GAD Panic Disorders Phobias Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, OCD Post Traumatic Stress Disorder, PTSD The estimated annual prevalence of other mental disorders in the United States include Major Depressive Episode, 8.4%, 21 million people PTSD, 3.6%, 9 million people Bipolar Disorder 2.8%, 7 million people borderline personality disorder, 1.4%, 3.5 million people OCD, 1.2%, 3 million people schizophrenia, less than 1%, 1 1.5 million people by 2022, approximately 4.58% of American adults reported having serious thoughts of suicide. Suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts or ideas, has increased each year since 2011. Help is available. If you or loved one is having thoughts of suicide, call 911 immediately or call the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, formerly the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, at 988. For more mental health resources or the National Helpline Database. Mental Health by Ethnicity 
the approximate annual prevalence of any mental illness among adults in the United States, by demographic, are 62. Multiracial, 35.8%. Non-Hispanic White, 22.6%. Non-Hispanic American Indian or Alaska Native, 18.7%. Hispanic or Latino, 18.4%. Non-Hispanic Black or African American, 17.3%. Non-Hispanic Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander, 16.6%. Non-Hispanic Asian, 13.9%. In 2020, the highest prevalence of serious mental illness was among adults identifying as two or more races, 9.9%, while the lowest prevalence of SMI was among Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander adults, 1.2%. The prevalence of mental illness among racialized groups may be statistically underrepresented due to factors caused by racism, such as underdiagnosis and or misdiagnosis because of lack of cultural understanding by healthcare providers, lower likelihood of receiving mental health care, disproportionate referral to the justice system than to medical care for mental illness and behavioral health issues. Data finds racial and ethnic disparities in mental health diagnoses. Mental health in the LGBTQ community. Mental illness occurs at a higher rate in the LGBTQ community than in the general population. The approximate annual prevalence of any mental illness among lesbian, gay, and bisexual adults in the United States is 47.4%. Mental health by age and gender. While mental illness affects all ages, rates can vary by age group, as follows. 1 in 6 children and adolescents aged 6 to 17 experience a mental health disorder each year. Approximately half of all lifetime mental illness starts by age 14, and 75% by age 24. As of 2022, 15.08% of American youth had experienced a major depressive episode in the past year which is a 1.24% increase from the year before. A reported 10.6% of youths in the United States have severe major depression. Among people aged 10 to 34, suicide is the second leading cause of death. As of 2020, 30.6% of young adults aged 18 to 25 in the United States experienced any mental illness, with 9.7% experiencing severe mental illness. 25.3% of U.S. adults aged 26 to 49 experienced any mental illness, with 6.9% experiencing severe mental illness. 14.5% of U.S. adults aged 50 or older experienced any mental illness, with 3.4% experiencing severe mental illness. Mental illness rates can also vary by gender. The prevalence of any mental illness was 25.8% among American females, compared to 15.8% among American males. The prevalence of severe mental illness was also higher among females in the United States at 7.0% compared to American males at 4.2%. Mental illness can be experienced differently between men and women. Women were twice as likely to experience depression, PTSD generalized anxiety disorder, and or panic disorder in their lifetime than men. Women accounted for 85% to 95% of people with anorexia nervosa or bulimia, and 65% of people with binge eating disorder.
men were four times more likely than women to die by suicide, though women attempted suicide more often than men. Women and men experienced schizophrenia at similar rates, but it tended to appear earlier in men, late teens to early 20s, than women, late 20s or early 30s. Alcohol use disorder occurred more often in men than in women. The exact cause of mental illness isn't known, but it's believed to involve interactions among genetic, biological, environmental, and social factors. Screening and Early Detection While mental illness can't always be prevented, early detection can increase the effectiveness of treatment and improve outcomes. Many mental health conditions begin by early adulthood, indicating a benefit to screening children, adolescents, and young adults for mental illness. 150 million people in the United States lived in a designated mental health professional shortage area. 11% of U.S. adults with any mental illness and 11.3% of U.S. adults with serious mental illness had no insurance coverage. Mental illness is common in the United States, with about half of all Americans experiencing a mental health condition at some point in their lives. Consult your doctor.